Well, good morning. Good to have everybody here today in the auditorium and also with us online. We'll take you any way we can get you. So, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to uh, Mark chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 20 in our time together this morning. Well, I have to make a confession. It's kind of funny in light of the topic we're talking about, but... um, So we're driving up here this morning from Lancaster. My wife are talking back and forth, and I'm starting to think about the message I'm going to be giving, and Sherry's continuing to talk um, and saying things that are very significant, none of which I'm hearing. And then she made some statement, and was like, you know, it just kind of caught me, and I said, honey... I'm sorry, but I missed that last paragraph, if you could kind of just mention it. Have you ever done that? Yeah. I mean, you've all had it done to you, and my guess is we've all done that. Listening is a struggle sometimes, isn't it? And, you know, they, they, we, we, we talk in good communication. You, if there's going to be good communication, someone's got to express themselves correctly, and someone's got to listen correctly. And if there's a breakdown, if both of those aren't going on. So we, 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 we kind of know that in the area of listening. I, I, I guess this is just confession Sunday. I don't know. But I just know with my children, I have had times when they've just gone on and on and on. And I, I'm trying to listen and I, my mind wanders. And they're telling me about their day at school with their fourth grade teacher and the whole thing. And then finally they look up at me and they say, so what do you think, Daddy? <laughs> And I want, I, and, and so what I normally do to cover is I say, well, honey, could you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, I mean, as a parent, you know, you, but you know what I'm saying? Listening can be a challenge. When we come to this passage, um, and, and I, I was thinking about this too. I mean, I, I've spent the last, I don't know, 30 years of my life studying the art of, of communicating God's word in a way that's accurate and compelling and engaging and relevant and all those kind of good stuff. We call it homiletics. We call it different things, pedagogy, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's kind of been part of my passion. And one of the great models for that is Jesus Christ. When you go to the scripture, you say, oh, man, wow, that's a whopping good story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look how he engages. They give him a question. He gives them a question back. That is so good. You know, and so you're learning an awful lot about communication. But in this passage, Jesus isn't focusing on the communication part. He's focusing on the listening part. And it's really fascinating what he does. I mean, if you read this passage and you don't have any questions, you're not reading. Because there's things that he does, you're going like, see, you're talking about listening, and you do it in a parable that nobody understands. Like, like what is that all about? Like, what is he doing in this text? He's going to be telling us an awful lot about how people listen to the word. Do you remember the last few weeks, and uh, as James and Tim have been preaching too, that there's, there's, there's been this momentum as you come into chapter 4, and, and you're finding kind of a, a rising opposition to Christ, aren't you? 
Where, where more and more people are saying, man, I, I think he's nuts. Or, nah, I guess he just did that by Satan's power. And, and you're feeling this opposition. And so it's within that context of, of this resistance or, or, or people using Christ for their own purposes like healings. It's within that framework that Jesus gives this teaching. So watch as we walk through it. I, I'm, I'm using the NIV to, uh, for this particular message. And I notice there's, there's a word, a Greek word, they translate two different ways. Um, sometimes they translate it listen, sometimes they translate it hear. So as you're reading through these pas- this passage, nine times the same Greek word is used and it's either translated hear or listen. And so clearly this passage is about how we listen, specifically to the word and specifically to the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus Christ has come and is initiating, okay? So let's, uh, let's jump in. And I, I think you'll notice, it, it strikes me that um, what Jesus does here in this passage is not what you would normally expect for somebody to do when great throngs of people are coming to them. So listen how it starts there in the setting in verse 1. The text says this, And Jesus began to teach by the lake. That would be the Sea of Galilee. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Folks, do you realize what this opportunity is right here? Think about it. There are so many people coming in. He has no option. He is backed up against the lake itself. So it's a really good idea. Hops into a boat, pushes back a little bit. Those people would have to come out and start swimming in the water. They're not going to do that. So he actually has some room around him. Otherwise, he'd be totally encompassed. And what it says is the crowd is so large, they literally come right down to the edge of the water itself. Now, let me ask you something. If you were advising Jesus, and this is a great, great throng of people, what would you tell him to say? I have to tell you, if I was a consulting firm, and he called me in, how to, you know, how to build bigger groups, how to take one size and go to the next mega size or something like that. I mean, if that's what I consulted on, I would never recommend what he does next. Because at one level, it doesn't even connect. Think about it. This is the story he gives. The problem is you've heard the story. If you know, if you've been around Christianity, you've heard the story. But if you never heard the story before, you wouldn't have a clue what he's talking about either. Now, you kind of know it at the human level. I mean, everybody around there knows agriculture. They know how you plant and how you throw seeds and they recognize that the land is different. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's not an issue. But what in the world does it mean? Is this a lesson on agriculture? They could have figured that one out. So with this great throng of people, Jesus, here is your moment. And this is what he does. This is what the text says. Verse 2. 
He taught them many things by parables. We're going to get a couple of them in Mark's gospel. If you want to read a fuller description of those, you'd have to go to Matthew 13, the parallel text where you have a lot more of those parables mentioned, all about what the kingdom's going to be like and what to expect, really good stuff. Anyway, so Jesus is teaching many things by parables. And in his teaching, this is what he says. Listen. Because it's all about how people listen. A a farmer went out to sow his seed. You know what? Let me just punch down here there. Okay. So I found... I found, you know, sometimes on Google you can find some really nice slides and sometimes they're stinky. This one was pretty good, so I thought, yeah, I'll use it. Okay, there you go. So you can kind of see it as we go here. All right. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others, other seed fell on the good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. And then Jesus gives a closing appeal again. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he's done. He's going to actually go inside and talk with his disciples a little bit later. But that's what he gives the people. They don't know what to do with it. They're going to like, okay, okay. We, we just saw that before, not too long ago. Somebody went out, and that's what they would do, you know, if they were, if they were um, planting seed, they would take their seed, and they, you, you want to throw it in the good soil, but in the process, the stuff gets flung all over the place. And, and some will just land right smack on the hard beaten path where people are walking on, and what happens there? The birds see it as prey, boom, they come down, grab those seeds, and it's, they're gone. Guy saying, "Yeah, I've seen that. I've I've had that happen." He's throwing it out, and as he throws it out, some goes onto soil, which is probably only about two or three inches deep, because over in Israel they would often have this almost veneer of a soil, and then underneath there would be this limestone bedrock, and 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 what happens? If, if, if you're a seed and you're going to develop into a plant, I know nobody's ever had that experience, but but if you were. You know, you need soil and you need a lot of it to go down. And what happens is just isn't enough. And the plant comes up rather quickly, but there's no deep soil there. That sun comes beaten. Boy, if you've ever been over to Israel, it can beat. It can be really hot. And it just shrivels that plant up and nothing. And, you know, people are saying, yeah, I've seen that. And then, then others goes into a, a certain area where the soil looks like it might be pretty good, but it is just packed with thorns. Now, I can feel that one because I'm a master of planting things when there's a lot of thorns. You know, I just, but, but whatever, again, the plant starts to come up, 
germinates, the seed germinates, and those thorns just wrap themselves around and just strangle that plant, and it's dead. But some seed falls on good soil. It's rich, it's deep, it's not a lot of thorns in it. And man, what happens? That plant begins to grow. And it's not just a, a basic yield. It is a crop. It is a great crop. 30, 60, 100 fold. All different, but all good. Jesus finishes. I don't know. Maybe he waved or smiled at them. And the people thought that was interesting. And went on their way. You're like, Jesus here was your moment. Why didn't you say, I'm the son of God who's going to die for the sins of the world. Trust in me. I mean, that's what I, you know, something. What is he doing? The scene changes when you come to verse 10. And here, Jesus now is alone with his disciples and those that claim to follow him. And notice what happens. Let me just read verses uh, 10 to 12. Because I, where I really want to focus in is on verses 13 to 20. But let me, let me read the text. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. And folks, that right there shows you the difference between those that claim to follow Christ and that, those that don't. For most of the crowd... They didn't care what it meant. But for followers, we're not, we're not sure what it means, but we know it means something and it's good and we better follow up on it. Do you see? So they asked, Lord, what's going on with these parables? I mean, you know, we just want you to be a straight, direct shooter and you're just kind of giving us these cryptic allegories. We're trying to figure them out, but it's kind of hard. He tells them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And then he's going to quote from a portion of Isaiah chapter 6. So that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Well, that clears everything up. (laughs) What's he saying? Jesus is saying, you know, I have some very important things that I want to teach you about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God's not going to work out exactly the way you had anticipated. So I'm going to reveal that to you, show you its connections back to the Old Testament, but it feels kind of cryptic. But I'm going to be telling you all about those things, Jesus says. But those on the outside, I give parables because it's cryptic enough and they don't have enough interest to even ask, what does it mean? And so hearing, they're not going to really understand. Seeing, they're not going to come to the truth. So, so Jesus is saying, 
when I teach, it is both privilege and responsibility. And when individuals continue to say no, 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 just like in Isaiah 6, that's what you find happening. God can get to the point where he says, fine, I'll give you what you want. So I'll frame the teaching in a way that frankly, you're not going to follow up with because you don't care. So you'll be hearing, but nothing will be ultimately connecting. So in that sense, it becomes a form of judgment. And it doesn't mean that these people are eternally damned and, and, and all is finished for them. There's going to be other opportunities when Jesus is going to talk very directly to them. But he is teaching us a very important principle. Hearing the truth is not something we should just say like, oh, big deal. I'll reject it now. Maybe I'll consider it later. You may never consider it again. Because it's a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. So he frames it in this form of a parable to show that it's a very serious thing. And he's also going to use that very form which is concealing from the one group to actually reveal the realities of what he wants them to know about how this world works between his first coming and his second coming and what you should expect and all of those things. He then turns, this is where I want to really focus our time. In verses um, 13 to the end, He's going to go back now and he's going to explain what he meant by that parable. And here's what I want you to do. Two things. I want you to ask yourself, which of these four soils best describes you? Number one. And secondly, which of these four soils have you seen lived out in the lives of those around you? Because I would argue... We have all seen people around us that reflect these four soils. So, so just you know, be thinking both about yourself and what you've actually seen. Because Jesus is going to give an appeal both to these followers of him, some, some of whom really are and some who probably really aren't. He's going to give this teaching to them because he wants them to have a feel of what to expect. And then to ask them, what will they do? with it themselves. So let's work through each one. And again, see which one that you could put your name next to. And I, I want to explain some things along the way too, because sometimes I think they can be misunderstood. Right? So let's let's kind of talk our way through here. And you can see the, the diagram here is just kind of a way to to to, to frame um, the, basically there's two approaches here to to how people respond. So look at what he says, verse thirteen. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus, without him, we're not going to be able to figure it out. That's for sure. The farmer sows the word. So the seed that is going out, which goes in all kinds of different directions to all kinds of different people, There's nothing wrong with the seed. We've got a patch of ground in our backyard. I don't know what happened. And it it wasn't my fault. 
But there was a passage. I mean, it just died. All the grass, there's this area where it's just like the whole thing just died. So we put seed on it. It's starting to come back a little bit. Um, but sometimes I kind of worry, you know, was it good quality seed? Because maybe it was lousy quality seed and it won't really germinate. And You know, I worry about all those kinds of things. There is no problem with the seed in this text, folks. The seed is the word. It's the truth. It's, it's what frees people. It's what we would call the gospel of the kingdom, which culminates in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all that stuff. So nothing wrong with the seed. So, when, so Jesus is saying, look, this is an allegory. I'm giving you this earthly story. But this stuff all represents something up here on the spiritual level. So the farmer is throwing out seed, and that seed is the beautiful, wonderful word of the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. And there it goes. Okay? Okay, got it, got it. How about the soils? Because that's the real challenge, isn't it? Verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Do you think that ever happens in this world? You're at work. You share the gospel with somebody. And perhaps for a short moment they think, you know, I probably ought to go back to church sometime. My mom gave me an old Bible. It's around the house somewhere. Or I I don't know. They think those kinds of things. And then what happens, folks? This is spiritual warfare. And thought comes into their mind, hey, you forgot to get flowers for your wife today. Maybe, maybe, maybe that comes into their mind. Uh, didn't I learn that the Bible is antiquated, though? I mean, like, it's not very scientific, is it? And all these thoughts start coming into their mind. Are some of them generated from their own heart? Sure. Are some of them demonic? Sure. And that seed that was planted, that if, if responded to, could mean the difference between life and death and eternity is gone. Because it's spiritual warfare. As 2 Corinthians 4 tells us, the God of this world has blinded their minds. So that just kind of stuff kind of comes and just bink and pops right off. And the devil is actively at work trying to keep people from listening to the word. You you shouldn't be surprised if you see that. And if you're with us here or online, and you're hearing this story and this message from a distance, and there's an inkling in your heart by God's spirit, there may be something to this whole thing about the gospel. Don't throw it off and be distracted with other things. Fall before God and say, God, work in my heart. And watch what he does. But you have this one group. I mean, you throw the seed and it's just like as quick as it gets there, boop, it's gone. Look at the second seed. Verse 16. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, that that gospel truth, they quickly fall away. Did you ever see that happen? It grieves my heart. How often I have seen people make professions of faith. And I'm as excited as they are. Wow. They, they want to be forgiven, and from what I can tell, and trust Christ as Lord and Savior and be a forgiven follower of his. And this is great. They say it. I, yeah. I mean, let's get baptized, which is what you should do. I mean, the whole thing. And then in a few short weeks, you can't find them anywhere. You call, stop by, they hang up on you. And you wonder what happened. Sometimes they tell you. Sometimes they tell you, you know, I got home and when I shared it with my family, they thought I was nuts. Crazy. They laughed at me. I started thinking about How's this going to impact me at work? Maybe I won't get a promotion. Maybe I'll get pressure here and pressure there. I, 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 I can't go through life like that. No, no. That kind of opposition from people that come to me because of the truth of this word. No, I'm going to choose, I'm going to devalue the truth of God's word. And I'm going to prefer them to that. So they would rather fear man than fear God. I've mentioned it to you before. It's just a clever title for a book. Ed Welsh wrote a book years ago called When People Are Big and God is Small. And it's exactly this. Living by the fear of people rather than out of a fear for the awesomeness of a sovereign, loving, holy, righteous, incredibly wonderful God. Jesus will say elsewhere in the Gospels, don't fear those that can ultimately kill you and put you into the grave. Fear the one who can do both that and cast you into the lake of fire for all eternity. That's the one to fear. He's the God of this life and the life to come. He's the sovereign over all. And we worry about what Bill thinks. I'm, I'm not, if your name's Bill, I'm not. Oh, Bill. Bill is over there. No, I wasn't thinking. But oof, Sorry. Change that. We worry about what Tom thinks. There's not a Tom over there, is there? Okay. That's crazy. I, nothing personal. Bill's a good friend and godly man. All right. All right. Boy, did I ever blow that one, Bill. Okay. No, but you know what I mean? It is easy for us to be so concerned about what each other thinks. And at the end of the day, folks, it doesn't matter. I I mean, it hurts. It matters. But not ultimately. And there are individuals that will take their profession of faith in Christ and they'll lay it aside and they'll walk away from the one they say they've trusted, who they never truly trusted to start with, folks. Because of people. 
Have you ever seen that? Grieves my heart. What happened to Joe, and I'm not thinking if you're John, but what happened to, I shouldn't even mention names, you know, but Henrietta, nobody's named Henrietta, whatever, but you, you know what I'm saying though, folks. Jesus says, look, as you're sowing the seed in this world, you're going to see all kinds of responses. There's some people that are going to say, out of here. And there's others going to say, oh, I really like this. And then you're going to like, oh, cool. And then they're gone. It's over. Look at the, uh, the next soil. So some people ignore the word. Some devalue it because of being out of hearts that are fearful. Other people are easily distracted. Look at what it says in verse 17. I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, ultimately making it unfruitful. He's going to specify in this passage two kinds of things, two kinds of of approaches. And maybe I'll put this slide up. It'll help us here. So some reject the word outright. We know that. Others abandon the word. Do you see? And that's, that's the middle two soils. They may abandon because of pressure around them from other people. And they fear people more than they fear God. Got it. Others are overwhelmed by the concerns of this world or they prioritize the allurements of this world. You know what I found again through the, through, through the ages? Ages, it makes it sound like I'm really old. Through the years. Boy, that's a crazy way to say it. In my life. Better. I have found saints of God who are swept up into incredibly difficult situations. It could be health-related. It could be financial loss. It could be a whole host of things. And when you talk about them, they're not happy-go-lucky through those experiences. They don't say like, oh, that was wonderful. I wish I had more of those bad experiences. That's called masochism. No, that's not how they view it at all. It's hard and it hurts. And there's times you believe your doubts and doubt your beliefs. I get it. I get it. They go through all that. But they go through it and they stay with Christ through it. It actually deepens them in the midst of their great pain, challenge, and difficulty. And I've seen others who've experienced similar kinds of things. That will say, any God that will allow this in my life or the life of somebody I love is not worth believing in. I'm done. It's true. I mean, they're wrong, but it's true that they do it. And they become so overwhelmed that what you find at the end of the day in their hearts, their hearts are divided. 
It's not a heart that just is focused on God because the spirit within is empowering them to feel that way. It's a heart that's divided and all of a sudden they're going, life is hard and God's allowing this. So I'm done with him. I abandon him. And they do. And again, as as a pastor, it breaks your heart. Because in all the experiences of life, that's when they need him most. And they walk. So it's, it's not just the concerns of this world. And it's interesting, that word for concerns, the Greek word, sometimes we translate it worry. You know, because it just means I'm just consumed by this thing. It's just dominating me. Other times it's appropriately just the word concerns that can just mean life is filled with challenges. And we experience them and they hurt and they're hard. The difference is those that know Christ can go through those concerns and even what slips into worry, but in a way that ultimately deepens them. And others go through that in such a way that reveals a divided heart that says, I'll take that rather than God. So, so uh, a trial can surface a divided heart, but so can temptation. Do you see what he goes on to say? The, the deceitfulness of riches, and just so that he doesn't leave anything out, any other desire for any other thing. Jesus, I mean, that's like wide open. So you say, well, I don't have a problem with, with riches. No, but you, do you have any other? Oh, yeah, I do some other things that I really like. And so people become revealed both by how they handle temptation. I'm sorry, trials and how they handle temptations. And in those moments when I say, you know, I understand the God stuff. But I really want to live the good life. Yeah. Well, well, what about church? Yeah, I'll check in maybe at Christmas, maybe an Easter. My wife's been bugging me about it. I guess I'll show. And this dominates their life. They're divided in their heart. And when push comes to shove, when that temptation comes, you find out who the real God is. And they go with it. And what happens is that becomes the pattern of their life. Now, I want to pull back a moment and be clear on something. I don't think that any of the first three soils are believers. I think they're all lost people. Okay? Now, having said that, people will say, well, Finkbeiner, don't you ever struggle with problems? Aren't you ever tempted to worship something other than the true and living God? Every day. Doesn't mean we don't struggle with it. It means that a true believer, and you can, true believers can have a period of time when they wrestle with it and you're not sure where they are. You're not sure where you are spiritually. I get it. When you're sick and feeling crummy, it's hard to feel like you have joy in your heart. Like I get that. The difference is a true believer will stay with God through it. And if those things surface up and the pattern of my life is, yeah, I, I signed a decision card to trust Christ when I was six. 
and haven't done much with it since. That ought to be a red flag, to be honest with you. It ought to be a red flag. Because perhaps you would be soil two or soil three. And again, I'm not trying to make people doubt their salvation. Every one of us struggles every day, okay? With trials and with temptations. I get it. The issue is, what does it reveal about us and where do we go with it? And we can struggle, we can lapse into these struggles for extended periods of time, but a true Christian can't ultimately live there. A Christian is oriented to Christ and there's going to be progress, though slow, though incremental, but certain. It doesn't mean I don't go like this and then I backtrack, I get it, and I get, I get preoccupied and I look, yep, 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 it's all part of it, I get it. But then the Spirit of God, because we have the Spirit of God in our hearts, we get reoriented again and we take that next step. That's what a Christian is. A Christian struggles, but a Christian stays through it. Do you see? Look at the last soil. Verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, and there's only one reason it's good soil, because it's a heart that's been transformed by the Spirit of God, okay? Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, or we could say receive it or embrace it. And they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Will we all grow at the same pace? No. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, will you grow? Yes. So it's not a matter of me looking around and saying, oh, I don't know. Dave Raiders are going speeding up ahead of me when it comes to this growth thing. What's the issue with my life? No, it, no, no, we're growing. Maybe one is 30-fold. Maybe one is 60-fold. Maybe one is 100-fold. We're all in process because we're oriented to Christ and something is happening. Some it's slower than others, but in all, it's happening. Because God's spirit is within. And to have God's spirit means I can never be the same. And I can wander, and I can doubt, and I can question, and I can struggle. But you remember that old weebles will wobble, but they won't fall down? Remember? Okay. If you're younger, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Look it up online. Okay. But it's true, isn't it? Weebles will wobble. I used to like, right? And that's our life sometimes. It's a different language, whatever. Back and forth. But what happens ultimately? They come and they stand. That's what happens with Christians. They persevere and they progress. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, so would-be disciples, people gathering around, at least enough to ask them, hey, what's going on with this parable? And he's saying there's at least four kinds of people. There's there's those that they wouldn't want to have anything to do with the gospel. You're going to find that. Don't be surprised. Grieve 
And as you have opportunity, continue to give them the gospel. Because you never know at what point God's spirit might do a work in the heart. And then you got people that you think embrace it. Because they're driven by fear in their hearts. Fear of people and what people are going to say about me because of God. That so dominates them that they abandon their faith. And others, it could be hardship that comes into their lives. It could be an alluring temptation that comes into their lives. But either way, those things show a divided heart that says, I want this rather than this. And God, you're out of here because that's my God. And then, there's true soil where God's spirit resides. And we struggle, and we wonder, and we doubt, and it's hard, and we go through pain, and man, do I want to embrace that temptation, and sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. All that happens. But through it all, we learn the joy and the freedom of repentance as we come back to God again and again and again. Folks, if you're a Christian, you're repenting every day. Multiple times. Not to become a Christian. You only do that once. You believe in Christ who has forgiven us of our sins. But as a believer of Christ, we, we, we just, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. As the songwriter said. But what happens in that wandering is we come back to him. And in that moment, in our repentance, in our humiliation sometimes, we take another step in our faith walk with him. And it was a hard one, but it was a good one. Something else happens, and this time we go to God quickly, and we take that step very quickly, and it went really well. And the next time it doesn't go so well. But we keep repenting and coming back to God. And because of that, we progress, we're oriented to Jesus, and we stay in the game. We persevere. How do people listen? At least four different ways. How do you listen? My my prayer is that everybody sitting in here is good soil. Oh, some of you might be 30-fold, some of you may be 60, some of you may be 100. I don't know. But you're all, you're all forgiven followers of Jesus Christ. You've been forgiven of all your sins because of what he did for us on the cross. That overwhelms you and changes the way you live your life. Yeah, you get it. So we grow at different levels and different ways and go through different experiences. But you're one of his. And my prayer is that everybody in here is in that situation. But it may be that that's not the case. It may be that you just play Christianity. Or perhaps this is one of the first times you've heard this before. I don't know. And you go like, I don't know if I'm even interested in this. You are in spiritual warfare with with the demonic world around you, which would love for you to say, I'm out of here. These people are kooks. Yeah, I, I get it. It's just that we're not kooky. We're right. Not because of us, because of God. So, look at how you listen. See what that tells us or tells you about yourself. And take that to God. 
honestly and openly and ask him to work in your heart. And then believer, as you continue to sow the seed as your blessed Lord did, don't be surprised. Yeah, but I, that guy made a profession and, and, and drifted away and I, it was probably all my fault. Well, maybe there's more you and I could do. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, it happens. They didn't listen. I got to be a little bit more clever with the way I share my faith. Man, what, what's that book I'm supposed to be reading? Okay, yeah, and I'm off for reading all the books. But the best apologist in the world wouldn't get through to that guy. Sow the seed. Sow it again and again. And you're going to find times it's going to fall on soil and people are going to genu- genuinely come to faith in Christ in a way that's unexplainable and they're going to stay the course and they're going to progress and they're going to grow and you're going to say, I was able to be a part of that. So there's all kinds of ways we can apply this truth, isn't there? Look at yourself. Recognize the different responses of people around you. And let us make a commitment to the only thing in in the world that matters, which is our relationship with God. Now, other things matter, but nothing centrally as much as that. And watch what God and God alone can do. Father, This is a hard passage in many ways because our heart grieves when we see how people listen. Sometimes it's it's very painful to watch. And yet, Lord, we rejoice with what you've done in our lives as your people and the lives of those around us that have clearly come into a faith relationship with Christ. They know forgiveness. They're overwhelmed with who he is. And although they're rough around the edges, you are actively at work in transforming their lives one step at a time. Father, use us with your kingdom truth. Father, my prayer for everyone in here, is that they would truly be the good soil which can only happen by knowing Christ as Lord and Savior and having the Spirit of God residing within. So Father, do your good work. Christ name I pray, amen. Folks, if we can be of any help to you after the service, if you have any questions, feel free to grab any of us. It could be leadership, elders, pastors. It could be just a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Say, will you pray with me? I mean, if we can be of any help, we're here to help in any way we can. Are we, are we done? Oh, we're done. Okay, well, have a great day.